And the rest of us, we're in a new series right now called On the Run. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, can you just get to my idiot problems, please? Because this is about idiots. All right. Thanks, Sean. Um, this is a, a series about Saul, uh, King Saul chasing David and David being on the run from King Saul. And, um, and I, I, by the end of the sermon, God is going to show you something different about your idiot problems. Because I know you think you don't have an anger problem. Help me preach, Venue Church. Come on. I know you say, like, I don't have an anger problem. I have an idiot problem. By the end of this sermon, I can guarantee if your heart is in a good place, you will be like, God, thank you for all the idiots in my life. Send me more. <laughs> Stir it up. Give me two crazy bosses. I'm going to talk about a boss that I had for over a decade and what God showed me through all of that. Now, this series is about how God, you ready? How God delays your promotion with idiots. Or with surprising and slowing circumstances, or with trouble and injustice. He delays you rising for reasons that we're going to get to today in the life of David. Now, David is, it's interesting because David kills a, a giant for Goliath. And just when David kills one idiot, God puts the next idiot in charge of David. And David ends up marrying Saul's daughter, and now he's his father-in-law. And he's in charge, and he's a maniac. And I know, like, you, you tell yourself, like, hey, when we get married, you know, I'm not marrying her family. I'm just marrying her. And then you got married, and you realized, I married the family. And so David's life is full of all sorts of crazy stuff uh, that is happening that will kind of normalize, I think, your struggle and really put it into place so that you can start appreciating God's hand in it. If you don't see God's hand in it, it's hard to suffer. But when you start seeing God's hand in it, then you start like cheering him on because he's creating a good work in you. And so, um, I mean, today you're going to see in today's sermon today, he's not just, I know you think that your boss is hard on you, and he might be. And there's some people here whose story I know, and your bosses are crazy. But like, I don't know if they've thrown like a spear at you. Like verbal spears, yeah, but it's not the same thing. I know you can say like, it's still abuse. I'm like, somebody throwing a spear spear at you is a lot more than somebody like, I don't like the, your sweater. Or try bathing occasionally. No, I just thought I'd throw that out there. That's legitimate, guys. Like, nobody should. Saul was not the roadblock to David's promotion. He was the road. Our prayers in these times are like, God, remove this roadblock from my life. He's like, that is the road. That is the road that I have to your destiny, is the road I have to your, not just your promotion. Think about it like this, because we pray for promotion. God is not interested in promoting you. God is interested in your promotability. Because promotion follows promotability in the house of God or in the world out there. Do, do you, are you following me? Like you want more influence, but God is trying to make you promotable. Because once you're promotable, that solves a whole uh, host of problems. So, um... Did you, who, who's the first Wednesday? We had a packed house first Wednesday. Um, well, I talked about entitlement. And uh, we're here for that. You've got to watch the video. If you haven't watched first Wednesday, at about five minutes in, some guy comes into the back and starts yelling at the back of the church. And I can't see anything from here, right? So I'm like, what's happening? Somebody had, had parked him in, like blocked him in. And he's literally back there yelling. Was that funny? I thought that was hilarious. That's never happened to me before. So. I'm like, I feel like you don't know that there's people here in that. Anyways, um, if I told you his profession, you'd be like, really? Anyways, um, as, as, 
You got to come to team. I told the team last night. Um, <laughs> entitlement. If David had an ounce of entitlement in him, he would have left the path a long time ago. You know, 90% of the Psalms, I heard somebody say this. I don't know if it's actually true, but I mean, if you read through the Psalms, 90% of a Psalm is like, oh God, why me? Because that's, that's what First Wednesday was about. Like, why me, God? Why is this happening to me? But by the time David gets to the end of each Psalm, he's like, why do you love me, God? Why me? You know, and so David has this thing inside of him that kind of turns it, turns it all around. David is the guy. Now, listen, listen. I, if you can find it, I've been looking for this since I was a kid. If you can find it where God says to David, because he says to the kings, he says it to Solomon, I think. He says it to the kings that come after David. If you follow me, this will happen. If you don't follow me, then all these other consequences will follow. I cannot see anywhere where God ever says to David, if you stop following me, then this will happen. I cannot find it. I don't think that it's in there. There was something about David that was different. There was something that he got that nobody else knew about God. There was something about him that understood something about God that put him in a place where he was always going to follow God. He might make mistakes. He might blow up his world, but his heart was always going to follow the Lord God. Now, um, Samuel had anointed Saul. Saul didn't obey the Lord. And Samuel, you know, by, by God's hand, had removed that anointing, basically. Like, God has removed you. So Saul is no longer anointed by the Lord to be king. And David, we're going to pick up the story after Goliath. It's way too easy to preach Goliath. I'm going to preach something afterwards that's going to have a bit of a shocker at the end about why David had to go in <laughs> and live in caves for some years. But... If I'm David and I'm coming into this scenario, David in front of his brothers, do you remember? Like, read the story if you didn't come from church. Samuel comes to his house and anoints him king in front of his brothers. Saul's anointing is removed. David is already anointed king, but David's not ready to be king yet. So then David comes in and kills Goliath, removes Saul's giant. Now, here's what I want to say to somebody. You're asking God to, to kill your giants for you. And God's like, go to small group because I got a giant killer in there that you don't know yet. Because God sent... God sent Saul a giant killer. It just wasn't Saul. And then Saul spends the next years trying to kill the very person that God sent. Now, listen. Who do you think Saul was really working for? Because I know you're like, he was working for the devil, Pastor. Yeah. He was really working for God. God can use somebody that has made terrible decisions and made an alliance with the enemy. He can use that person in your life. God can do anything. That's how great God is. Saul wasn't really working for the enemy. I mean, he was, but God was using him. And it was never about Saul, and it was never about your boss, and it was never about your husband. It's about you. And as soon as David gets his eyes off of Saul, David realizes this is about me, and this is about the development that God wants in my life. Promotability. Killing one giant on your best day is miles apart from real influence our society celebrates the one day way more than it should oh you did something great at school that's amazing what about the rest of the year leading generations of people and millions of people for decades after you can have a good day and beat a giant but you as quickly as david is promoted that promotion can go away as well i mean titanic was pretty amazing until about a 20-second period when it wasn't. And David's not ready to have real influence yet. Now, 
As I'm talking about this, think about somebody in your life who has, has real influence with you. Like when they say something, you listen. Like, like you know somebody. It could be your dad. It could, I don't know who it is in your life, your small group leader. Somebody who's like, when they say things, their words weigh more. Now, I want you to think about influence like that. Somebody's words way more than other people's words. Some people, they just speak about everything all the time. They got opinions about everything. And you're like, oh my goodness, like none of these things make any sense. I don't, somebody's words who weigh more. Like a parent who has good kids, their advice weighs more than somebody who's giving all their theories about child raising and their kids are like little hellions, you know, in the grocery store. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody who's like got there. Everybody can give you financial advice, but you want to, the words of somebody who is successful, who isn't owing, who is, is budgety, their words way more. It's called influence. Not every voice matters the same. Not unless you're in a nuclear power plant and you're like, I feel like any of these buttons are going to work. And my opinion matters just as much as that guy. And everybody's like, no, no. When everybody's voice, everybody's opinion matters the same, then life is no longer equally valuable. Not unless you want the town to blow up within a nuclear explosion. That is what keeps life sacred. And every, every soul is worth the same. Every human is worth Jesus dying on a cross for. But that doesn't mean that every voice in every scenario, some people have influence and some people don't. What do you want? Do you want influence? Do you want, when you walk into the room and everybody's talking and you say something, do you want it to matter more than everybody else? There is a path that cannot be hurried to influence. Somebody gives you spiritual advice. Well, I feel like you should do this, and I feel like you should do this in church. And I'm like, I don't think they read their Bible. I don't think that they give any of their resources to save the city. I don't even see them at church half the time. They're not in small group. They don't serve in the dream team. Of how much value do you think your spiritual advice is? Why would you listen to somebody who's got no spiritual Authority. Now listen, Saul couldn't go away because God was using opposition to train David's muscles. Every day running from Saul was a workout. And you're at your job right now or you're in your family situation right now and it is a workout. God is using opposition. That's how you build muscle. I know I got lots of muscle. <laughs> Sit maybe closer to the back next week. <laughs> Lots of muscle. It creates muscle. With no opposition, you will never be strong. And God is using it to create muscle. I, um, I worked for a guy named, uh, named Bud, and I'm going to name him because none of the things that he did were private and not public. So... Now, and one of the reasons that I would uh, actually drop somebody's name in there is because I think people need to be held accountable. Bud was a little tricky because Bud was our shop foreman. Now, I was one of the site foremen of whatever jobs we would have on the go. I was an electrician. But he was in charge when we came back to the shop. And so, um, so his name was Bud. Now, the reason I would name him is because he called himself a Christ follower. And if you're a Christ follower, then your name gets put in a box and you get evaluated for how well you do. Now, in the time, I couldn't evaluate Bud because he was my foreman and he was above me in the authority chain, right? So um, Bud was one of those Christians. I don't know if you've ever met a Christian. Like, in my experience in the trade, sometimes the church people are the worst people. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you know, it's true. Like, there's something about it. When church people get off, they get really off. Because they think that God is somehow on their team while they're being idiots. You know, like, I'm fighting for the Lord. No, you're just making stuff up. You know, like, I don't know. 
And so Bud was one of those guys. I mean, he didn't look like a, you know, like a duck or quack like a duck, but he called himself a duck. <laughs> so, so Bud, I worked for, for Bud for a long time, and Bud was my salt. Ironically, when he came into the shop, there was another foreman in place whose name was David. I mean, this is just going to preach all over the place. I'd be like, his name was actually literally David. And so, but because he politicked just right, and because he flattered the boss just right, and because he lied about David, and David also was doing cash jobs on the side, there was that. Um, but so, so I get a phone call. I was at the zoo, I remember, with, with Pastor Aaron, and I don't know where we were at in kid stage, but I feel we had like a little one there. And I get a phone call from an unlisted number, and he goes, this is David. My work phone's been cut off, and I think I've just been fired. And so then, then it began my kind of promotion into the job things because at the time I think it was a brand, maybe a brand new journeyman or something, and so I started getting promoted into David's place, ironically. And Bud walked into and he managed to wrangle his way into being in charge of the whole shop. And so um, Bud was like kind of a typical bully. Um, I was talking with uh, one of my guys here, and I'm like, oh yeah, no, he's he he knows exactly what I'm talking about with Bud because he's got a guy named. That's over him. That's like a typical bully. That's just like on you all the time. I mean, I won't even tell you what I told him about a month in when I was just like, I was just like done. Anyways, that's a different story. That's a different, that's a different me. That's a different me. I'm a pastor now. Um, but sometimes, you know, anyways, he would play mind games. I mean, the, the shop cycled a lot of people through and a lot of employees through because it was so unhealthy. You know, we're talking, so it was so unhealthy and not fun to be around. He, he took a guy one time who was replacing like a $30,000 pump in a water treatment plant, had everything organized. I mean, this is the sort of guy you just give the contracts to and like, he'll work for you forever. He's like, no, you need to go and hang this, you know, ceiling fan in this old lady's house today. And he's like, but I have, no, no, I'll just do this thing. And it was just like constant power games and he would lie about you. We'd come out of the shop sometimes and we would just call each other because we were all friends, all the site guys. So I'd be like, hey, Dan, guess what I heard about you today at the shop? He'd be like, oh, yeah, no, he blamed you for that Anderson job last week. And I'm like, I wasn't even, I wasn't even at the Anderson job <laughs> last week. He's like, oh, I know. That's why it was funny. You know, and so you go back through the, through the shop there. I had to learn how to swim in these waters because God put me under him. Now, knowing what I know about leadership now, I'm like, why on earth didn't they put somebody like me in charge of the shop like two months in and put Bud underneath that? But I realized God didn't allow them to for a reason. And it had nothing to do with Bud. And it had everything to do with my development. And I had to learn how to like, because they would be, it was kind of unethical how they would run things and they would lie. They would lie to the customer. They would lie to the wholesaler. They would lie about numbers that they got in. And then I would have to go in and, and deal with the customer and I cleaned, I mean, I did a lot of shoveling snow because <laughs> it builds character. That's what my dad said. And I'm like, there's got to be a pony somewhere with all this snow. <laughs> and so he used to, in the early days, he'd give me a truck and I'd take me about two weeks to clean it up because I, I took the truck from him and he just never cleaned anything up. And so I'd clean it up. And then two weeks later, he'd swap trucks with me. And he kept doing this just because he could drive a clean truck and literally never do anything, you know. And this is the guy that I work for. And the mind games and the anger and the yelling and all the stuff that he would come onto your sites and, like, yell at your apprentices about stuff. Then your apprentices would come over and be like, we, try, we tried to do what he said, but it doesn't work. And I'm like, well, yeah, you've already done 100 of these. Like, 
I had to figure out he'd have a bad day over here. One time a customer called him a liar. I have never seen him that mad, and I'd seen him real mad. He's like, can you believe this guy? He's like literally going off in his mind like, I can't believe this guy called me a liar. And I'm thinking, you know, I had the thought that day. He doesn't know. He doesn't even know that he's a liar. There's a a scripture verse that says some people have lost their capacity for the truth. That might be you. And you're sitting there like, yeah, I know liars, pastor. I'm like, (laughs) you don't even know it's you. You know what I realized? When he said something, he believed what he said. That's how powerful your words are if you want to make a lifetime of that. You couldn't tell him different. Well, this is what happened out there. I'd go into the shop every now and again, and I would just walk in and just, you know, like, you know me. I'd just walk in with a smile on my face. Owners would be there. He'd be there. I'd be like, yeah. I heard I got blamed for the Anderson job. I wasn't even there, right? And they're like, oh, nobody's blaming anybody around here. And I'm like, okay. And I'd just walk out again and just. You want to hear something I did? This is something, I don't know if God showed me to do this or. Every month, we'd be out, I'd take crews out to wherever we were working. Every month or so, I'd come back, and I'd be like, just go into the shop. I'm going to go home. We'd work some long days. I'd be like, I'm going to go home. Just go into the shop and, you know, do whatever you're going to do. Have a drink there with the, with the owner. And, the, and, and then I'd just spend the whole time just complaining about Corey. Like, that guy, he's such an, you know, I'm like, like, I know that you guys are probably going to swear when you do this. I'm like, just go in there and just be, I can't believe this guy. All he does is scream at us all day, every day. And then, then I said, they'll leave us alone for another month so that we can actually make them money. Because they think that that's how I would motivate people is by screaming at people. Wouldn't you love to be screamed at all the time? Like, no, of course not. We had a job site that was healthy. Everybody loved being there. They work harder. We didn't hide mistakes because you didn't have to because nobody's going to freak out if you told somebody you made a mistake. So we'd say like, so, and then the next morning, because of course I forgot about this, the next morning I get in the car and they'd be like, hey, it totally worked. They seem very pleased with you. <laughs> and I'm like, what worked? Because I'd forgotten. And they're like, well, that thing that you told us to do, because, you know, it's just all these games that you had to play that, and then they leave us alone for another month so that we could actually make them money. And uh, I think the, the worst thing, <laughs> okay, here's Bud. He calls me up one day and he says, how many feet are in a meter? I keep forgetting. Literally all he does is order pipe on the phone. And some of it, some tech comes in like meters and pipe comes in feet. And he he got them mixed up and multiplied something by nine. And we had 4,000 feet of 20 20 foot, four inch DB2 in that shop for like two years. Because I get there and I'm like, I guess he got it mixed up. It's like, I keep getting it mixed up. I don't know. And it literally sat there and took up the, half the yard. Uh, we all kind of made mistakes here. Listen, the worst thing about him is that he would eat mayonnaise sandwiches. I mean, like a half inch of mayonnaise. And he had one of those, like, handlebar mustaches. And it'd just be in there. He'd sit there eating lunch and wouldn't answer the door so the customers could pay their bills because he was busy eating lunch. He'd be like, somebody got to stock this shop. It's not my job. And we're like, it's your only job. Like, that's literally your job description is stocking the shop. Well, it's not my job. I, work, I don't even work here, you know? <laughs> Listen, Bud was for sale. Guys would see him filling up his motorcycle with the company card of the card lock. 
If how you do anything is how you do everything. He showed us pictures of his new shop that had a bunch of stuff from our shop there. Yeah. And God's like, hey, work for this guy for over a decade. Oh, I asked for the Lord to remove. God kept me there. Character carries a high price tag. It's never on sale and it's never for sale. If you can be bought, the number doesn't matter. If you can be bought. Are you in a place where you're there yet? I don't know. I don't know if I am. 1 Samuel 18. It says, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michael loved him. So even that, you know, Saul's like, hey. So he had this, he had this plan because now he hates David. This is after Goliath. He hates David. David's anointed king. Uh, the spirit of the Lord has left Saul. Weird stuff is starting to go down in the kingdom. David is now one of Saul's commanders. Saul says, hey, go kill 100 Philistines hoping that it would kill David so that he's like, if you kill a hundred Philistines, I'll give you my daughter, which he had already promised to whoever killed Goliath. He's like, Hey, the deal just changed. I'll give you my daughter. Then he changes daughters like surprise. He's like, Oh, that person. No, I gave her to somebody else. So David goes out and kills 200 Philistines. And finally, because Saul just can't get away from this anymore. gives him Michael, his daughter. I said, that's how it, that's how we do it at venue, too. I mean, if you do something great for the Lord, you can have one of my kids. I mean, it's weird, right? But that was like, <laughs> it's got to be something real great, though. Real good. You get 200 people baptized next year, I will give you my pick of my daughters. No, I won't do that. I won't do that. I, won't do that. Um, I would think about it. It's not like a pretty good guy. Saul became even more afraid of him. Listen, Saul became afraid of David. And he remained David's enemy the rest of his life. Now, I know that you think you're David in this story, but you might be somebody's Saul. God sends you a giant killer and you become an enemy of that person. You act like they want your throne. You're going to see in this story. You're going to see it. Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. I know character assassination is a big deal in Canada right now on Facebook. I mean like assassinate, assassinate, John Wick style. John Wick is coming out. Part four is coming out. We are going... I'm like, is this a girl's thing too? And then I'm like, no, of course it's not a girl's thing. What was I thinking? I have to take Aaron there on date night too. What was I thinking? <laughs> Somebody's like, I like this church. <laughs> Assassinate, watch this. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Now listen, insecurity and pride, ready? Picks fight with family over Philistines. Those two things in the same person, it's in somebody here today. Go get prayed for. Insecurity and pride. It's a push-pull with your giant killer. It's a push-pull with the very person that God sent to deliver you. It's just something in your soul is just like, <gasps> insecure pride. It's a power struggle that doesn't need to be there. It will pick fights with family over Philistines because your family probably won't try to kill you back. It takes advantage of people that have to treat you nice if they call themselves Christ followers, rather than going back and spending your energy going after the devil. 
Jonathan tells Saul, like, remember David? He killed the Goliath. Who of all your servants is better than him? Who is more faithful? Who is more loyal than David? Jonathan talks his dad off of the ledge. It says, Jonathan listened, uh, Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, as surely as the Lord lives. Now he makes a vow that they used to make on the name of the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Until he starts chasing him and trying to kill him. Afterwards, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened. Then he brought David before Saul. Saul, uh, David served in the court as before. War broke out again after that, and David led the troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury that they all ran away. But one day when Saul was sitting at home, yeah, if God sends you a David, it's not so that you don't get a fight. What gets David in trouble? When kings go to war, David is on his house watching some lady bathe. When kings go to war, son of God, go to war. Daughter of God, go to war. Saul sitting at home, watch this, with a spear in his hand. You get attacked a lot in your own living room. Who are these people? What kind of a family does he live in? The tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again. The Lord's anointing and lifting. He's like, I can't protect you from the devil if you're going to make a deal with him. As David played his harp, oh no, Saul hurled his spear at David. While David is playing to get the devil off of Saul's life, because David would play and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit would come back into the room. Saul hurled his spear at David. But David dodged out of the way. Another translation, and most of the translations add the word twice. I'm going to illustrate this because I don't feel like you're getting it. And leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. Okay, let's just hit a pause here. Okay, so houses weren't big back then. Your house is bigger than Saul's house is, okay? So like my room, okay, here's a mic stand. That's the one wall. David is sitting here playing a spear. I'm just making this a worst case scenario for distance. We got visual people here? Okay. David is here playing a harp. Mike, my, my couch is right here. I've got a spear in my hand. My spear is about seven feet long. Just to recap, David is here. And the end of Saul's spear is here. <laughs> and David's like, I know why you didn't want to fight Goliath. <laughs> it's like a snowball fight with my girls, man. The safest place to be is wherever they're aiming. <laughs> he hucks a spear at him. Hucks a spear at him. Does David help him pull the spear out of the wall the first time and bring it back? He escaped the room twice. Would you do that? There's something in David that would. There's something in David. Uh, here you go. Um, you dropped this. Uh, there's something about David. Not the self-preservation survival garbage. Like, Then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. 
who are these people? He comes out with a cup of coffee and it's like, guys, like, wait till he comes out with that coffee. He's not ready for it. Stab him a whole bunch. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't escape tonight, you'll be dead by, by morning. You thought you married crazy. I mean, Saul can't even plan an ambush right. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you tell Michael? Like, don't tell David, but I'm totally going to... I'm going to kill the future father of my grandchildren. Don't tell him. The end is going to shock you, though. So she helped him climb out through a window, and he fled and escaped. Then she took an idol and put it in his bed, covered it with blankets, and put a cushion of goat's hair at its head. You know, it's like when you're like... Sneak downstairs to watch TV and you fill your bed with stuffies. <laughs> that works if the soldiers are real dumb. I don't feel like kind of soft on there. When the troops came to arrest David, she told him he was sick and couldn't get out of bed. David, David is so sick he can't get out of bed. David's not like your coworker who's like, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm coming down with something a month from now. I better take the month off. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. I had a hard conversation. I had a guy show up to work one time, and he's, I'm like, why are you all mad? He, he walks out of my office door and slams the door on me. I'm like, what's up, what's up with you? Well, my mom gave me heck because I didn't clean my room up. And I'm like, hmm. I said some other stuff. Saul sent troops to, back to get David. He ordered, bring him to me in his bed so I can kill him. Like, grab his whole bed if he's that sick. I'm like, David is that th sick? David, as a teenager, killed Goliath. Do you think there's a sickness that could keep David in bed? Some of y'all need to just toughen up. You think that there's a sickness that David's not going to go and fight the Philistines that are trying to kill his people. You think that he's going to come down with a cold and let it stop him. And then you think that that same David's going to be lying in bed so immobilized that you're just going to pick his whole bed up and walk him over to Saul so that he can kill you. Like, what's going on? This is the type of crazy he's dealing with. When they came to carry him out, they discovered it was just an idol in the bed with a cushion of goats here at its head. And they're like, that's not a person. And Saul says to Michael, why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy escape? I had to, Michael replied. He threatened to kill me if I didn't help him. It's funny how the accusations that used to come against me working for Bud weren't really true of me, but they were definitely true of him. And when you've allowed lies in your soul, you will project your problems on other people. You'll be like, I mean, if you're a church person, it gets super weird because you're like, I'm, I feel a prophecy coming on for you. And God's like, why would I talk to you about them? You won't even listen to you about you. Who do you think this is about? Maybe it's about you. Maybe apply it to your own life first. Pastor, I got a prophecy for the whole church. I'm thinking, I feel like it's for you if it's about a character issue. <laughs> Probably. And I don't even know who you are. Like, I'm not even sure what your name is. I don't even know if you go to church here, but you got... Sorry, sorry, I know. It's bitter pastor's kid. Watch this, watch this. He threatened to kill me. David, up to this point, you ready? This is it, just lean in. David has personal integrity. 
What he doesn't have is leadership integrity yet. He can kill a giant. He's got the talent. He's got the calling. He's got the anointing. He's got personal integrity. He's got the relationship, the personal relationship with, with God. You know what he doesn't have? Leadership integrity. Watch. This is David's house. His wife is a liar. David doesn't tell lies. His wife does. And there was an idol in the home. That was hers. That came from Saul's house. If David gets promoted too soon, because he married up, right? He married up, and this is like the court, and he just does a shepherd boy, and he comes in and he goes, I guess this is just the way that it's going to be here. And Saul's home had idols, and every home in Israel had an idol if the leaders got one. And David's home has an idol, and somebody, I'm speaking to somebody here, you've got an idol in your home that you won't get out. And I know that you think you're David in this scenario, but you might be Michael. I mean, you might be living with a David. There's an idol in the home, and you tell lies. Leadership, influence, is you've got to learn to work those things out. Because if David is promoted and becomes a great king, every home in Israel is going to have the same problem that Saul had. Because he wouldn't confront it with his young wife. He was afraid to confront it. He was afraid to change the game right there. For Samuel 22, let me end with this. So David got away and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and others associated with his family heard where he was, they came down and joined him. Not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around. Now this is just like when your division gets all the idiots. <laughs> this is like the, watching a bad movie. Like it, you know when you watch a, like a, a, a B-minus movie? And you're like, this is terrible. And then something happens and you're like, this couldn't be more terrible. And then it proves you wrong again. <laughs> this is like a bad movie on top of another bad movie. And watch. Well, his brothers and his family's got to come down because Saul's going to go crazy and kill them. Losers and vagrants and misfits of all sorts. There were about 500 that showed up in church on a Sunday. I was talking about this church. That's why it was funny. Oh my goodness, you guys. You totally missed it. There was about 400. Because I know you're like, but this has 400. No, I'm just joking. There was about 400. Watch. There was about 400. And right when David's luck couldn't get any worse, God's like, okay, we need some leadership. We need some leadership training. I'm going to send you the worst guys in Israel. Everybody who owes anybody money, everybody who's a loser and a misfit, I'm going to send them to you. Train them. You have personal integrity? Find a way to get it in them. Train them. Train them. Work through their lies. Work through their things. Correct them. Discipline them. Show them how to go. Show them how to worship. Figure it out with these guys and I'll give you more. Promotability, figure it out with who you got. That's who God gave you. Figure it out with who you... Stop asking for substitutions. Stop trying to tag other people in that have talent. Work with who you got. These 400 guys, these 400 guys. David, at the end of his reign, has an army of 1.3 million people. These guys were their commanders. These guys. The guys that nobody else could get to. The guys that nobody else could fix. David lived with them, sweated with them, bled with them, taught them a better life. These guys commanded that army. 
Don't miss the pony while you're shoveling snow. Learn the lesson that God really has you there for, or you'll never have real influence.